So normally we start these with uh, a joke, a fake, you know, thing. A roll in. Oh, I was doing this and oh, it makes me think of that movie. And oh, hey, it's on my list. We're not going to do that today because uh, we're talking about a movie that we really can't do that with. It would be so inappropriate. Um, So we decided last time when we recorded that this time we should do something that sort of fit with the current uh, social environment uh, and would teach all of us something that we probably didn't know much about. So the movie this month is 13th, the documentary by Ava DuVernay uh, about the 13th Amendment and the prison industrial complex. So here we are. And this is a film that none of us had seen. Right. And so essentially it was on all of our lists, as it should be, I think, on every person who lives in America's list because it's extremely informative. Uh, It's available on Netflix, which uh, a lot of people have, or they have a friend's password, so they have access to Netflix. Uh, And in in that sense, it, it is on our list. My name's Elisa Gonzalez, and I have not seen 13th. I'm Andrew Lindy, and I had not seen 13th. I'm Bethany Brinton, and I have not seen 13th. I'm Cheryl Jones, and I have not seen 13th. I'm Joe Myers, and I have not seen 13th. And this is It's On My List. Yeah, it's probably one of the most important uh, movies out there or documentaries that need to be seen and heard. Um, there needs to be more of them out there because it was sure it was certainly an eye eye opener for me. I really like the way that uh, that it was presented. First of all, if we just want to talk about like format, <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting in terms of a documentary because the one thing I noticed because the film brain and me can't stop rolling while it's watching something is that it in most documentaries you know you see your talking head and then it gives you the little blurb that says oh so and so professor of blah 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 at this university for the first i would say like at least 15 to 20 minutes you didn't Mm -hmm. see any names it was just people giving you information people making statements about things that happened people kind of discussing it very generally um and then as they would start to reveal like oh this is uh, here, I have a name up here. I'll quickly do that before I make myself look dumb. Uh, oh, this is Brian Stevenson. And then occasionally mm-hmm. above whoever's name was talking, it would say like formerly incarcerated. Yeah. So you could see some of these people discussing the prison industrial complex who were a part of it at one time. <laughs> so, right. And I uh, think it was yeah. good, yeah, to get uh, to see some people talking before knowing that about them, you know, mm-hmm. so that you don't make an assumption right away like, oh, oh this yeah. person. And it, that's kind of the whole point of it, right? Is so that you see people as people rather than categorizing them as someone who's been in prison or, you know, oh, this person's a, a congressman or something and that person's been in prison. And yeah, because you make you, you, your brain will automatically stratify those people, you know, 
Mm-hmm. I liked the, I guess you could call them act breaks, but she kind of uh, br- broke it up into decades for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you moved into the new decade, it would show you the amount of uh, prisoners that grew in the population. And then it would kind of introduce you into the next decade with a song from that era and kind of giving and it almost like a, a lyric video. So giving you the lyrics of whatever little blurb of a verse that they were choosing, but absolutely all of them had <laughs> had uh, had to do with what they were discussing, which was the mass incarceration of most of the African-American population in the country at the time. Uh, yeah. And that's it. I I think I like that choice um, by the director, by Ava DuVernay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, we should talk about her a little bit um i actually i i had seen um selma uh which i i really enjoyed i think it was very well made uh and also a wrinkle in time which is it's it's a fun film (laughs) not historically tied to anything uh i don't know it's is everyone else familiar with uh, her works or i think i'm familiar with her but mm-hmm. I, I don't right. think I had seen any of her other things before. I definitely yeah. I have not, yeah. Yeah, same with me. Yeah, I think she's currently tied to a superhero film, but I think a lot of directors are, so <laughs> pretty who, much everyone. Yeah, true. Who knows? <laughs> um but yeah, I really uh enjoyed seeing the the way that she had put together uh, a, a documentary. Also, we, I, I believe, are on this show. We have never covered a documentary. Yeah, before. I think so. so this, you know, this is this episode is you know completely blowing us out of the water of what we normally talk about. You know, we're already in over our heads with the, the content alone. <laughs> Let's but, keep going. Um, but I, I, I think for a documentary, this was a very good choice. Uh, for for something to cover, uh, because documentaries sometimes you, you can say you know certain documentaries have a certain slant to them, yeah. or some documentaries just cover um, one person's point of view because it's following that person as they do some something. Uh, but this is an overarching. This goes from way in the past to uh, political things today. And kind of ties it all together in ways that perhaps we don't see. So I want to I want to point out that this movie uh, has won a lot of awards, uh, which it rightly should. It was nominated for best documentary feature at the Oscars in 2017, uh, and then it won. And this is an unusual thing: it won at the Emmys. 2017 because it was it got a, like a theatrical release in uh like i think it was london and los angeles was it i'm not sure don't quote me on that uh but then was released to netflix and so all over the world it was released you know online so that qualified it for emmys so for with the emmys it won outstanding documentary or nonfiction special outstanding original music and lyrics Outstanding Writing for Nonfiction Programming and Outstanding Motion Design and was nominated for Directing. Uh, It won the BAFTA 2017 in England uh, for Best Documentary. 
It won a Humanitas Prize in 2017 for Documentary Special Awards category, uh, NAACP Image Awards 2017 Outstanding Documentary Black Reel Awards, Outstanding Documentary Feature, and Black Film Critics Circle 2016 Best Documentary. Wow. Uh, and that was just some of the awards that it won. There were there was such a long list. Wow. Like, I'll just pick wow. and choose at a certain point, you know? Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an important documentary and uh, thankfully was rightly recognized. Except perhaps by the Oscars. Yeah. And I got to say, even before we get into subject matter, I had not realized this came out four years ago. Because I still see this mentioned and talked about in like my Twitter feed and elsewhere in the world that to me, I was still thinking it was like a year old or maybe two years at the most. Yeah, it came out. It came out on October 7th of 2016. Wow. Uh, Insane. I couldn't. uh, Yeah. When I saw that, I didn't believe it had been that long, but it sure has. And uh, I I just looked it up. Netflix has officially put the entire thing on YouTube for anyone who wants to watch it and does not have access to Netflix. So, oh, that's good. Great, yep. that's great. So it it starts off by telling us it gives us a very important statistic. I think that the United States has five percent of the world's population and twenty five percent of prisons in the world, and that's a bit startling just to start. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wow, that says something all by itself, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then it goes into talking about the namesake of the movie, the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, as we all know. But as part of its language, it says ex- that slavery was abolished except as punishment for crime. And that's the clause that's been used uh, to force criminals to labor without pay. Uh, and that has disproportionately fallen onto black people uh, in jail because black people are disproportionately in jail. And so uh, and it, it starts with with a lot of information and then circles back around near the end with what that really means. But first, it talks about how we got there. Um yeah, so it talked about then that, that how that was used was that after the Civil War, uh, black people were arrested for a lot of minor crimes like littering, things like that, and so that they could then be put into jail and forced to provide the labor to rebuild the South. And, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get through this episode without some serious cursing. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. that's a load of, you know, you know what. Um, just that that was done and and it talked to, and this, I thought this was a really interesting thing. Like having studied film, I was familiar with the birth of a nation, you know, and the racism in that movie. And it, it really, as it, as this movie says, it really romanticized the KKK, but I didn't realize that that movie created that cross burning image and that didn't exist for the KKK prior to that movie. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I ha, has anyone here seen uh, Birth of a Nation? No, I've seen the no. newer one, which is not on my list. Turner. I've seen. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I can't remember if I ever saw the whole thing in film class, but I have seen. I think the vast majority of it. You know the key scenes and things. And yeah, so it yeah, it was terrible. very. It, um, uh, I was first. I I didn't 
I think I, I, I never, I mean, knew that Birth of a Nation was really held up by the KKK as this great film until I saw um, Black Klansman. Uh, mm-hmm. And in that film, they have a, a sequence where where they 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 show them enjoying that film a lot. And uh, yeah, I think I had also never realized that such a deep connection in Birth of a Nation. I, I feel like every time that I had heard it brought up in film circles in 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 the past, uh, it was just like, oh, it was an acclaimed early film. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah like I heard about, over. oh, it was the first film that used cross-cutting uh, where you see, diff, you know, action in two oh, different places right, happening right. at the same time. And yeah, like the, it's brought up or was in, you know, I was in college in the late 80s, very early 90s. And so it was brought up then as, oh, it's just it it made these advancements in how film is constructed. And there wasn't really any emphasis on, by the way, it's also hideously racist. <laughs> you know, but I mean, but you, you for a modern audience looking at it and seeing it's the KKK, if you're a reasonable human being, you're going to realize, oh, yeah, this is awful. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really li- I don't like this, you know, but yeah. And I only recently watched Black Klansmen. So, yeah, I saw that, too. Those scenes where they're basically cheering as the KKK comes in to, you know, save the day, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of blood curdling to want to see that and to know people mm-hmm. are out there doing that well yeah, and the fact that the the movie kind of i mean if not in whole in part helped with the resurgence of the kkk like right i i don't believe for a second that with the reconstruction after the civil war that the kkk was going to just completely fade into obscurity but uh, this movie definitely helped give them like a cool look <laughs> at the time, right, for sure. Right. So I, I've got a question, actually, just going back to the 13th Amendment itself. When we did our Gone with the Wind episode, I talked about the U.S. history teacher I had that I argued with because oh, yeah. she flat out said slavery was not the cause of the Civil War, had nothing to do mm-hmm. with it. Right. I remember learning our amendments. I remember the 13th being the one that abolished slavery. I don't ever remember any teacher in school, and, and I went to school in the South in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, ever talking about the caveat of unless you're a criminal in, in prison. Yeah, no, I never heard that here in California either. Okay, no. I was wondering about that, if that was just kind of not talked about there, if it was just everywhere we, we yeah. were all whitewashed. I, I, well, yeah. Go ahead, Andrew. No, I I just think in in general there's a lot that is wrong with um, public education, where they will leave out certain details oh, yeah. uh, well, just, just to hi- simplify historical everything. education in in general. I think like the, yeah. the U.S. Yeah, is terrible like, at learning. Yeah, like history. growing up here in California, we always learn about the mission system. The missions, but and mm-hmm. I know now they teach it a little more evenly. But back when I went to school, there was absolutely not a hint of. How terrible that was for the indigenous mm-hmm. populations. We didn't. It was like, yeah, the missions are great, you know. <laughs> so, they spread their religion. Field trip. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They they civilized the savages, right? So not a good word. God. No, and and yeah. So now looking back, it's like, oh wow, yeah, we did not learn anything that we should have, you know. Yeah. The the only. I mean, I remember obviously learning the amendments and constitution and three branches of government and all that stuff, but it was, it was more of like a, 
you need to memorize all these amendments and which one is which. So let's get through them really fast. Right, right. <laughs> like literally, I remember our teacher giving us like mnemonic devices to remember like second, bare arms. Okay, third, and like, okay, great. It was just all kind of thrown at us really fast. But so the movie talks about like the one one term that was used was the generational trauma for black people. Like there was a generational trauma, mm. which, you know, is it, it, just in my personal life learning about trauma and how it is generational and we as individuals carry the trauma of our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents you know all the way back like it it rolls downhill and that was an interesting moment for me to think about that as you know black people as a population in America having to deal with that trauma that comes from you know, the age of slavery, <clears throat> excuse me, of being basically abducted from where, from Africa, from where they lived and brought here and forced into slavery and everything that has happened since then, uh, that modern black people in some way all carry that trauma. And that's something that as a white person, you know, I can't imagine carrying that true mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah there's going to be a lot in this discussion i think that none of us know what to say but uh yeah yeah that's <laughs> what can we say um so then it, it talks about when and i just wrote down like the things that really stuck out to me as as the movie went on and um it talked about when lynching became unacceptable then as a society basically we moved on to segregation and so uh, activists who were fighting against segregation were portrayed as criminals because they were breaking segregation laws. So, it, you know, they, people, you couldn't lynch black people anymore, but you could separate them. You could segregate them. You could give them fewer rights, uh, treat them poorly. And then, and then that's where this criminalization started of, well, if you're, if you're walking into a whites only lunch counter and sitting down, you're a criminal, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous when we look back on it now, right? That that was criminal to do that, to just sit down and, and demand your rights. And it's not, it was nonviolent. And even if it had been violent, what would it matter? Uh, the, the, they have some video footage somewhere around that point that just shows a, a, a black man walking away from one of these situations and he has a, a crowd of white people around him and the, and some of the men start trying to push him and knock his hat off and he has to just keep walking. And that really um, shocked me. Yeah. Uh, especially when you consider some of the images that we see even today that right. are vaguely similar. And sometimes it's not even it's, vague. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. I, I, I. Well, I, I mean, by vague, I mean now that instead of just uh, white people, it is uh, police officers. But y y I think you all understand. Yeah, uh, it's it's the uh, perpetuation of this system that wants to criminalize people because of how they look, because of where right. they come from. The, it's it's you know this this documentary doesn't. Uh, shy away it it gets right into it right oh, yeah. 
Because then it talks about in the 1960s, we had the civil rights movement, uh, which just coincidentally, we also had a rising crime rate. And so there was an effort made to claim that rights for blacks caused that increase in the crime rate. It did not. And they were just coincidental things happening at that point in time. But it was weaponized, I guess, for lack of a better word, against Mm -hmm. black people of, oh, look, this caused this with no actual connection existing. But if you say it enough, people will believe it, right? Uh, (laughs) As we're seeing currently um, in a lot of ways. So uh, then it gives us our first real, like, it gives us 1970, the U.S. prison population was 357,292. And I looked it up in the U.S. overall population at that time was 205 million. Um, And the word, at that point, the word crime, as in war on crime, came to equal race, as Nixon used it. Mm-hmm. So it was more, you know, the war on crime was a war on black people. They just couldn't say it that way. It was well, the, the, the Jim Crow laws repurposing themselves into a different form. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And calling himself a law and order candidate, you yeah, know. Right. Yeah. And then Nixon also started the, quote, war on drugs, uh, which began to dealt with drugs not as a social issue but as a criminal issue and it was a as as they say in the movie it was a purposeful method of vilifying hippies because they used pot and black people because they were using heroin at that time that was a popular thing so you could really easily criminalize these two groups that a lot of white people felt you know weird about they didn't you know hippies and black people so Mm -hmm. (laughs) including hippies in this just feels stupid but uh yeah so that's kind of where this this pivot happened with nixon of you know going from an outright segregation to a more disguised version of segregation uh uh uh, you know, using these words that meant one said one thing but meant another in the way that they were applied. And that's how we got a lot of uh, democratic states to flip to Republican by it's, it's scare tactics, essentially, which is all of politics now, but at the time, <laughs> kind of new, especially for uh, the democratic states to kind of flip over to Nixon. And that was the whole what they called the the Southern strategy. Yep where they used veiled language of racism and fear to say like, Hey, come over here now. Like the Democrats have abandoned you. So come this way. Uh, So then uh, we move into 1980, the prison population at that point, 10 years later, what we were at 357. So now in 1980, the U S prison population is 513,900. The overall population's gone up from 205 to 226 and a half million. Uh, and we have Ronald Reagan. I remember him. Uh, and so he expanded the war on drugs. And in 1982, uh, he was doing that while the polls were showing that, that drugs were not an issue to most people. But he turned it into an issue. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the guy who really started what we are still dealing with today, which has, of course, been added to since him. But um, and then he also created a tax on the government programs for, you know, like welfare that. Uh, and so um, there were increases in the poverty rate. He made a he made a statement. Ronald Reagan did that. They showed in this that I think I understand what he was trying to say, but the way that he said it, said it was that the poverty rate it's starting to decline, but it is still going up. And I was like, oh, that yeah. is that is the most amazing. And I think what he was trying to say was <laughs> it's starting to slow down, but it's still going up. But the way he said it was such double speak <laughs> that it really <laughs> stuck out to me. Like, really, it's declining, but it's going up. okay. That doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> We'll be back with more It's On My List. 105 minutes of Super Mario Brothers in the can. Can't believe we did it. Uh, What's next? Obviously, Denson checks in. Oh, you mean the 1996 ape film directed by Ken Quapis? That's right. We're going to watch it one minute at a time. And for each minute that we watch, we're going to find a film that pairs nicely, like a, a wine with a fine dinner. Sounds great. See you next week. Dunstan checks men. Dunstan checks men. Dunstan checks men. Uh, and that's when we they get into talking about how you had these issues where cocaine became an issue in the suburbs, and it was viewed as a suburban issue, uh, but crack was seen as an inner city issue. And longs, they were get you know, black people were given long sentences for possessing crack, whereas white people who possess cocaine, it was just like, oh well, you know, it's more of a slap on the wrist kind of idea, right? Like, oh well, that's just a suburban thing; it's no big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, this is where he kind of took the war on drugs and what you're talking about, Cheryl, with taking the money out of all the social programs. They took drug addiction from a social health issue, which it is, and made it a police issue. So now they've set up that streamline just to feed prisons constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because what when where yeah, if, if a person is addicted to drugs, selling drugs, using drugs, that's a thing where there should be a social intervention, right? And and deal with the sources of that addiction. And yeah, they weren't. We weren't doing that. We were just. Oh, you're going to jail. So, and that Reagan doesn't. Also, I believe uh, disbanded a lot of the state and federally funded uh, mental institutions, partially because I think they were a lot of them were in very very bad condition. They weren't treating the patients very well, but also partially because he didn't. Again, it was it was the money thing. He didn't want to spend that much money on that, and a lot of people who needed mental help had like serious mental health issues were literally just like tossed out on the street. So that also definitely contributed to the drug problem that he was supposedly trying to fight. And both Nixon and Reagan, as you said, Joe, they, they created these things that appealed to Southern state voters. And there was a quote from an actual official in the Reagan administration who said, blacks get hurt worse than whites with these, with these policies. Like yeah, I think it was Lee Atwater. Yeah. Don't quote me on this, but. Right. <laughs> but now we got your quote. So, yeah. So then in 1985, so in 1980, we were at 513,000 in prisons. 1985, we're at 759,100. 
the overall population went up from 226 to 238 million. So you can see like percentage wise. Uh, and that's when they start talking about the cops TV show, which was just recently ended. Right. Finally. Very recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and the, so cops and the news and all of those overrepresented per FBI statistics, black people as criminals on TV. And then we had, we had this idea of super predators, which were gangs of kids who were out of control. And that was totally overblown mm. as well, which is where the central park five came from, uh, which we've all read about a lot <laughs> in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Um, who were, were, you know, picked up as scapegoats, as one of these super predator groups of, of young black men, uh, even though they had absolutely nothing to do with this crime and the DNA evidence proved they were innocent. But still, even today, our president is saying, you know, he thought they should have they should have been, you know, put in. Did he say they should have been sentenced to death? I can't remember exactly what his words were, but. Yeah, he said bring back the death penalty. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. In spite of this evidence that had, you know, proved they were innocent and yet still. Uh, so there, the uh, summary of all this so far they, that they gave was that all of these programs and issues created an impression in white and black communities that black young men are criminals. So. Uh, that's all a construct that came out of our politicians and the and the policies that they put in place. And just the, the sheer amount of money behind them when they um, that are feeding the the politicians, and when you see all of these corporations like Coca Cola and and Walmart and all of this, and you know the ones that are funding and feeding the prisons and it's just one big site i mean i'm very quiet this episode because the amount of rage <laughs> yes no, well let some of it um, we need that we need the this I, for me this is part of what this episode should be is letting some of this out and talking about it because i think it's important for us to to give our reactions our true reactions to this because this is such an important issue that's been driving everything in America forever, basically, since the Civil War. Well, before the Civil War, obviously, but yeah, let yeah. it out. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I will. Okay, we'll get there. <laughs> just, yeah, I'm a little well, bit tongue-tied. Well, and I, yeah. think, I think what you just brought up, like, I, I want to kind of go through the timeline that it gave, but when we get to the, where those corporations come in, I think that's where it's going to come out. Because <laughs> that's where it's <laughs> really, really coming out for me, too. So let me let me run through. We're, we're, all, we're not far from there. So let me just run through the, the next okay. few things. Because um, then they talked about, and this is a thing that I remember, uh, the Bush Dukakis uh, presidential race and these Willie Horton ads that they ran um, that that talked about this one black man who committed a crime, a rape crime, and it it painted black men in general as as criminals and and indicated that black crime is a problem without saying it outright. 
And as they say, it's the metaphorical black male rapist and mm -hmm. that Bush will then be the savior of white women, right? So they're saying all of that <laughs> without saying it. Uh, but in actuality, in, in history, rape is much higher uh, with white men raping black women than it is with black men raping white women. So they created an issue that isn't, isn't real. Uh, not at the level that they're try they tried to make it out to be. So then we get to 1990, the prison population jumps then in those five years from 759,000 to 1,179,200. Uh, population overall goes from 238 to 250 million. And that's when we have the three strikes law and the mandatory minimum sentences uh, coming in, which overwhelms prisons. Um, because it removed discretion from judges and gave it to the prosecutors. So, you know, you can be picked up on your third crime that, you know, maybe they're, they're drug crimes, you know, nothing that's, you know, it's not like you're picked up for three murders in most cases, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you, the judges are forced to send you to prison for a lengthy sentence on your third crime. And, and that, you know, that just sends so many people into jails that don't really need to be there necessarily. Um, in, and then in 1994, Bill Clinton enacts the federal crime bill, which was weighted heavily toward police and prisons. It added additional prisons. It added, and we've heard a lot about this currently, it added 100,000 police and it created mm -hmm. the militar militarization of police. And those are all issues that we are currently dealing with in our communities in this country. Uh, uh, this is where I do love this documentary because I, I mean, it's no secret. I lean very left in my politics, but I'm glad that they were even handed on how Nixon started it. Reagan built it up. Bush senior took it. And then once we get the Clinton, everything was in place. All he did was inject it with adrenaline and right. it just, yep. I mean, it was on steroids at that point and it just took off. Yeah. Yeah, because I, and honestly, I obviously wasn't paying enough attention during the Clinton administration to know that that's really where this, yeah, like you say, this these steroids were injected into it, that that, that was the administration where that happened. I always kind of pushed all that, oh, that was all still Reagan stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so that was interesting, yeah, for me to see like, oh, no, okay, I just wasn't paying attention because I'm white and I didn't have to. Uh, and so we jumped to 2000, uh, and the prison population now has gone from 1,179,000 to 2,015,000 with a jump in population from 250 to 282 million. Um, at which point Clinton now admits that the 94 law was a mistake. A lot of good that does us now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like how they address it. And then they're also like, cool but right yeah still like that's happened great, but yeah <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do to fix it you can't exactly um and i can't remember the one lady but i totally agree with her where she's like thanks for saying it now but i truly think you knew you were doing wrong back then oh yeah mm -hmm. so all of these these primarily black men being pushed into prisons then created situations where black families were forced to live without parents uh communities were left without 
leadership because you have all these young men going into prison, even though, you know, like so much of this comes back to drug issues, which then comes back to social issues because it all just built up. And that's the thing that at this point you start to see it like, right. And you're like, Oh, you know, like, what do I do with this? Uh, So in 2001, the black prison population was 878,400 out of that, basically that 2 million. Uh, That's a lot. Um, It talks about then how the FBI had infiltrated, you know, going back to the past, it infiltrated Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and the Black Panther movement. uh, And it criminalized them and it, 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 they shot Fred Hampton at home in his bed uh, because the system was afraid of a leader who could unite minorities because he was uniting the black population and the Hispanic population. Also, I learned some quite some time ago that the Nixon administration created the word Hispanic and it has bothered me ever since. Oh, um, really? Yes, because <laughs> they needed they wanted a way to talk about all. uh I don't know how to pronounce the word with the X on the end. Latinx? Oh. Latinx? Latin? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I sorry. Guess. I I'm very white. Uh, <laughs> I'm learning. I'm trying to learn. Um, but they wanted, they wanted a word. We didn't have that word yet. They wanted a word to be able to refer to all peoples, you know, of South America everywhere. And they created Hispanic, which when you think about it is a word that doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, to me, Hispanic would be someone from Hispaniola, which is a place that isn't called that anymore either. So <laughs> anyway, uh, it's weird. Uh, but then it talked about like uh, Asada Shakur and Angela Davis mm-hmm. being female leaders in the black community who were arrested and criminalized because they were intelligent black leaders and, you know, the government couldn't have that. But Angela Davis fought in court and she, as they said, she absolutely devastated the system and mm-hmm. she walked free. And that was really great to see. Um, and then we jumped to 2014, which is when we're getting close to this stuff. Well, it is the year we need to talk about the things that are even more angering. Uh, and so then the prison population is 2,306,200 with the overall U.S. population of 318 million. Uh, that's when we have the Trayvon, Mar- Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman uh situation and the stand your ground law used by george zimmerman Mm. to claim he felt threatened which of course then they point out trayvon martin had he survived you know he could have stood his ground as well like that's Mm -hmm. but you know they never would have accepted that right it's a it's a two-sided law that yeah that makes no sense Right. Like if, if two people stand in the street and shoot each other, it's legal. <laughs> right. And then someone yeah. can just say, like, you can murder someone and just say, oh, I felt threatened. You know, mm-hmm. how does anybody prove you didn't? How does anybody prove you did? Yeah. I, I th- every every time with the the Trayvon Martin case, I get so angry when you hear the the 911 call yes. and they're saying, you know, hey. Uh, don't follow this kid. What are you doing? Right. And he just does it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. Cause they play yeah. it. They play it in this documentary. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's angering and frustrating and so extremely sad to hear it to just, 
you know what's going to happen because we know what George, happened. I mean, yeah, so, George Zimmerman yeah. wanted to kill this kid. It's right. I. It, there's no other way to say it. Like it's so, uh, it's so frustrating that he has gotten away with this, and you know, it, it's. I I don't even know. I I yep. can't even come up with the words for it because it's just he obviously so obviously wanted to kill Trayvon Martin and he got away with it. Mm-hmm. And profits off of it still to this day. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. He does. Yes. <sighs> so, uh, so the big thing that they talk about in 2014, and as they're talking about all this, is the ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, and that is a group that involves that includes politicians and corporations. It's a private club, and it proposes laws and 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 offers lobbyists uh, who. You know, like they provide pre-made law documents uh, for proposed laws. They give those to lawmakers, you know, to our politicians. They created the Stand Your Ground law, which was promoted in part by Walmart. Um, uh, they talked about other companies, the the Koch brothers that we hear so much about, uh, State Farm, AT&T, Verizon, and the CCA, which is a, an organization of prison builders and operators. Well, there you go, right? Um, and then the states are required to keep CCA prisons filled. I mean, that's that in maddening. itself, right? That is- <laughs> <laughs> like, what the? Yeah. It- I don't even, no how can logic. we even have a thing like that? No you are required. <laughs> yeah. I just. So then this three strikes (laughs) and mandatory minimum were all proposed by ALEC, A-L-E-C, and they were designed to fill those CCA prisons to generate profits for their shareholders, all of those companies I just mentioned, and a lot more. Those were just the highlights. Um, And so in 2016, at the time of this movie, CCA had a $1.7 billion profit. Uh, and then they interview a representative from the CCA. Oh gosh, this guy. And he just, do you guys remember on Saturday Night Live when Martin Short used to do like this attorney oh, yeah. character? Yeah. And he would, oh yeah. I'm not being defensive. You're the one who's being defensive. That's so funny that you would think. I, yeah. Oh, and he sweaty would just, and greasy. And yeah, right, yeah. That's what this guy made me think of just because I he told was. So. He <laughs> looks like every villain, every yes. corporate villain. Yeah. Just, every. Oh. Yeah, every like every eighties action movie villain. Yes. (laughs) And he just simply sat there and denied everything and claimed it was all a myth. Especially when when it's some some direct question, you know, trying to hold hold accountable for something they've done and he would go, Oh, I I never heard of that. Deny, Mm -hmm. discredit, deny. I'm not being defensive. You're the one that's being defensive. (laughs) 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 Like what is yeah it's like you just you, you feel like you're taking crazy pills what is happening in that interview like like that he can just sit there and just bold face deny everything you can see that's his he's job. lying yeah <laughs> that's his job that yeah. he gets paid so very, very makes him a lot of money yeah i, exactly. I hope it does because he's selling his soul but you know obviously he doesn't mind uh, he probably doesn't have one anymore. Uh, 
yeah, that that interview was just so that's a point where I was just like, oh, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> well, what was driving me mad is when you would have Newt Gingrich, of all people, uh, yeah. flat yes. out going, right. yeah, that's totally what we did. And it worked. And uh, right. the, the reason that you got where Bill Clinton was is because he realized he had to come to the center or even right of center to yes. be able to pull votes. And then at the same time, Grover Norquist, who has the most punchable face ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's wrong. It was never about race. No, no. Oh, seething watching that scene so bad. Yeah. Um, so then they talk about Arizona's SB 1070 law, which Alec created, uh, which gave the police the right to stop anyone they thought looked like an immigrant. And that benefited also CCA prisons. And I have to say, my friends and I, for like for my 40th birthday, my friends and I went to a hotel in Scottsdale, Arizona, a really cool place. We really loved it. I found it in a travel magazine. We're like, yeah, cool. And we we agreed that time. Let's come back here once a year, every year, as long as we can afford it. So we came back the following year and it a different time of year. And it was great. And we loved the place. And then they enacted that law. And I have not been to Arizona since then. I will not ever go to Arizona again. I have told, you know, my dad used to stay in Arizona for one of his auto races that he that he drove in and he started staying in the in California for it instead is there was like a, you know, near the border thing because um, I explained to him why he shouldn't because the friends that I was going to Arizona with are brown and I did not mm -hmm. want. Yeah, I was like, I can't in good conscience. Mm -hmm. bring my friends here when they could theoretically just get pulled over because, Oh, you look like an immigrant. You know, what is that? That's a, that's a show us your papers law, which yeah, is a yeah. Nazi thing. That's not an American thing or it shouldn't be. Of course we're seeing it plainly is American, but. Uh, yeah, it's just stop and frisk, but with a different yeah, name. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, mm -hmm. it was, it's, it was so angering to me and yeah, it's been my like personal thing to keep people from going to Arizona. I talked to someone recently who from the East who was talking, thinking about moving to Arizona. I was like, no, <laughs> you don't want to do that. Don't go. You can go anywhere else. Do not go to Arizona. Uh <laughs> and then it talks about CCA getting involved in uh, it, that they're, they started to get involved in immigration law enforcement system integration, you know, and facilities like, you know, the, the immigration facilities. Um, and then they started to move out of that after, because that's kind of where a lot, like people started to pay attention to that, what was happening with people immigrating. Obviously right now we've got people, you know, being held in cages. We've got children in cages and, and corporations started to move out of that. And Alec was losing their corporate members. So they started to move out of immigration. But now uh, that's the system knows it's dying. And so they're preparing for something new, which is the privatization of probation and parole with the American Bail Corporation. Uh, and this, all of this was so frustrating to watch because, oh, that's not working. We'll just pivot to something else to ruin everyone's lives. Mm -hmm. uh, Privatizing uh, the so American not just system. Not just ruin, to profit off of yes. the ruining of other yes. people's lives. You're right. Yes. And so they talk. <laughs> sorry, really quick. I guess I guess this kind of fits in here, but they they go into that whole story with I I can't remember the the young guy's name, 
is a Khalif Drowder. Yeah. 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 Where he, he, he took a plea deal, which if you mm-hmm. listen to any sort of murder podcast or, <laughs> or crime podcast of any type, you, you already know is just an infuriating system <laughs> where people mm-hmm. who are 100% completely innocent uh, for whatever reason, wrong place, wrong time have to take, like the guy explained, I have to take a plea deal of, Oh, Hey, if you do three years, then you'll be fine. You won't, won't go to trial. But if we go to trial, then I'm going to be mad at you. And I'm going to try to get 30 years of your life. Mm-hmm. As, the film says it's, as the film says, it's for the audacity of going to trial. Uh, the audacity of going right. to trial. And a lot of it is because again, because of this whole system, because there are so many cases to get through that like right. judges, judge, court, courtrooms literally look like the DMV times 20. They, mm-hmm. they, they have no time to look at these cases. They have no time to, to look at the facts and see what it's all about prosecution and just move everybody through the door. So plus, if you're a person of color, you know, the system's stacked against you anyway. Yeah. So it's not an idle threat of three years or 30. It's a very scary reality that that easily and probably statistically would happen. Right. And then so then they kind of wrap this part of it up with. um, we're talking about the prison industrial complex and the operators and vendors involved in the prisons, the phone companies that set their own prices that are unaffordable for the inmates. <laughs> companies like Aramark Food Service that uh, offer poor service to keep their profits high. Healthcare companies that make a profit if there's more illness. Uh, and then we come back to that 13th Amendment, except in the case of criminals slavery clause and you have federal inmate free labor companies and some of this has changed since 2016 i know but at the time they mentioned companies like victoria's secret and jc penny and idaho potatoes and all kinds of companies that use that use federal inmates as to create their products and that is slavery for corporations mm-hmm. and and it's unconscionable that that's everything we've talked about up to here is feeding that. Uh, and yeah, what, you know, that's a, that's such a huge, such a huge thing. And then they talk about, you know, when, when somebody goes to jail, when a black person goes to jail and then how having served time affects their job opportunities, their housing opportunities, their voting rights, which is something that's try a lot of people are trying to change now, because previously, you know, it, if you went to jail on a felony, was it then you you couldn't vote anymore afterward, even when you were out. But you've served your time, mm-hmm. so you and paid your debt, so you should be able to vote. I think um, you shouldn't lose all your citizenship rights just because of that. You've served your time, um, and there was a quote. Uh, one of the people they interviewed gave, and I don't know if it was Cory Booker that didn't give the name at the time and I forgot who was who. Uh, But he said, we don't know what the next iteration of this will be, but it will be, it will be, and we will have to be vigilant. And that's so frustrating that it's just, it's if we don't make real change, it's just going to pivot into something else like it keeps doing. And Mm -hmm. there's still people are, you know, they're still going to find a way to, to suppress black people and oppress black people. Um, 
it gives statistics that the lifetime like likelihood of time in jail for men, white men, it's one in 17 men will go to jail in their lifetime. Black men, it's one in three. Uh, and 6.5% of the U.S. population uh, is in jail and 40.2% of the U.S. prison population is black. No, sorry. <laughs> I cut that all wrong. 6.5% black People are 6.5% of the U.S. population, 40.2% of the U.S. prison population. Uh, I should have written more words there. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, that criminality clause in the 13th Amendment has just been used to control and oppress. And, uh, and that presumption of dangerousness and guilt follows every black person. Uh, so we see and then, it now with all the videos. Who are yes. you? Why are you here? Do you live here? Yeah. Are you visiting someone here? Why aren't you answering me? Yeah. I mean, it's still beyond prevalent. And it's a matter of, I don't think it's gotten worse. I think we just have more cameras on it. And now we're actually mm -hmm. seeing what people of color have dealt with since forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. points out the only thing, basically the only thing that's new is social media and camera phones. Because like you say, now yeah. we're seeing it and we have to look at it, which is good. It's difficult, but it's good that now everyone, everyone who wants to look, who is willing to look, can see it. Uh, so, yeah, my I mean, you know, and my thoughts on this, my immediate thoughts on on finishing the movie were, you know, the current movements to defund the police are probably the most important thing we can push through in this country. If we can push them through to, to, to defund the police and put that money into social workers and responders, mental health responders, mm -hmm. and, and learning how to deescalate situations and get people actual help rather than putting them in jail, which is a, what a lot of other countries are doing and it works. But for some reason, we act like it can't work here. And that's ridiculous. Right. I mean, just the fact that, you know, people who, are, who have uh, addiction problems, if you've, you've got any kind of uh, income, it's still difficult to get yourself into rehab and get yourself treated. Oh, yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're from a poorer neighborhood, that, that's impossible and it shouldn't yeah. be that way i mean right. and and the police shouldn't have to you know come in and and treat this you know that it, that it's, it shouldn't be in their hands or even with mental illness or the homeless problem that we have you know and it's it's got yeah i i believe we need more funding in in public services it's just it's oh, yeah. so far out of hand and I have to tell a personal story that uh, I was probably 12 or 13 at the time, not the person, not the more outspoken person I am today. Uh, my aunt worked as a dispatcher for the LAPD and she married an LA County Sheriff's officer. Uh, and he, the first time I remember meeting him was when he came to our house for Thanksgiving with my aunt. And at our Thanksgiving dinner table, he talked about, you know, he was talking about various things he had uh, encountered in his work. And he talked about an incident that happened on Martin Luther King Day. 
only he called it, and I hate to even say this out loud, it's so repulsive to me, he called it Martin Luther Day. And that was the first time that I realized there were bad police out there. And, Uh and, Mm -hmm. but I didn't say anything because I was young and didn't know how to speak Mm -hmm. out at that point. But when he left, I asked my parents, why didn't you say anything? And they said, oh, well, Mm -hmm. you know, that the police see a lot of things that's, you know, they get like that, which is, you know, a lot of people (sighs) say that that's not uncommon. But even then I knew, well, that's not right. (laughs) you know, Right. And, and so, you know, I've seen it, but what do you do about it? And I haven't, I haven't seen, you know, until now when we're all seeing it, I, I didn't see a fraction of what was happening. You know, I, I didn't, even with that, I didn't have any kind of understanding of what the system was doing. Oh yeah. I think, and I think we all either have a story like that where, where we encountered something or, or we personally know someone who's just kind of sitting there and is never going to move no matter what you present right. to them um it's yeah it, it is what it is and yeah again back to the movie i, I kind of wish that everyone could watch this i wish that everyone could intake this information and with as little bias as possible because that, that was another thing i liked is that they 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 had newt gingrich in there for for anyone who wants to listen to to newt gingrich above (laughs) above other voices um (laughs) but yeah it talks about bill clinton as as much as ronald reagan so it's it's right the 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 issue has always been like heavily partisan just in terms of who has the money and the power and who's suppressing the other group and why it's beneficial for them to do so but i think the good thing now is that yes of course we are more polarized as a nation than ever but again that happens every five years we get more polarized um but the the this issue in particular i think is is slowly starting to bleed across politics and just turn into what it always was which is a human rights issue like this has nothing to do with who you want to vote for this has to do with how do you want the person who lives next door to you to be treated so right I think it shows how much we need to end things like Citizens United that allows corporate money to be in everything. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just, I wrote a thought down just about our current atmosphere um, and that there are, that this ultra conservative movement that has happened since the election of Trump, well, since before the election of Trump, but it's just gotten worse and worse for us to deal with because we're looking at it more. Uh, that to me, that's just a desperate, evident attempt by some people to hold on to the existing oppression of black and indigenous people of color. Uh, and there are those who don't know how to exist in a world of equality and aren't willing to see injustices for fear that they may have to face ugly truths that they know exist in themselves and their histories. And they fear e- that equality somehow means less for them and they're selfish and ignorant. And that's my personal opinion of what's going on right now, that there are people who see the changes that need to be made that make sense. And there are people who are just afraid that it means less for them and and that they're going to have to face truths that they don't want to face. I, I, I also want to know, I, I, I wrote down one of the final things that is said in, in this documentary is someone uh, who was being interviewed said that without all of this going on and we are tolerating it, 
And at that time, that was true. But I think now there are a lot more efforts, uh, more public marches, more awareness. Uh, but I, I, I do like that they end the movie with that, that all yeah. of this is going yeah. on and we are tolerating it. And I, I do kind of, I like that in the four years that have passed, uh, there, there is some, if, if small, if, you know, so much needed change is starting, just starting to happen. And, and you know, you, you, I like to, I've seen a lot in social media, on Twitter, on TikTok or whatever, are these, um, millennials and younger kids are i've been so impressed are schooling their parents on these yes. people and on human rights and why they're wrong and they're relentless i mean i know they're getting hits and views on this but they're following their family around the house saying no you're wrong this has to right. change you know and mm -hmm. and that's hopeful to me that really it is. is yeah just that there is a generation coming up that maybe isn't going to stand for this and yeah, that's awesome right. to see. Yes. Because the the problem is like right now we're looking at it, but are we actually going to get something done or are we eventually, everybody's just going to go back to, okay, well, we've done our protests, whatever. But the protests have continued every day, even if we aren't seeing it all right. the time. Mm -hmm. And that's really encouraging that people are not going to let this go. And I hope that's the case that we all will continue to fight for what's right. I'm Elisa Gonzalez, and I'm on Twitter at ThisElisa. I'm Andrew Lindy. Uh, you can find me on other podcasts such as Nothing New, a remake podcast where my co-host Justin Kizan and I talk about film remakes. Uh, you can find that at benvnark.com slash nothing new. And I also host Dunstan Checks Men. Uh, which is the official Dunstan Checks In podcast. You can find that at banvinaarc.com slash Dunstan, and Dunstan is spelled with a U. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Podcaster Andrew. I'm Bethany Brinton. I'm a musician and composer. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook with just my name, Bethany Brinton. Uh, and we are It's On My List. You can find us on most of the things at it's on my list pod uh, we're also it's on my list pod at gmail.com if you want to send us an email uh, with some thoughts what you're thinking uh, and the only thing I'm going to ask you guys to do this week is vote next time it comes up yes and 
I am Cheryl Jones. You can uh, find my five years of my other podcast, Movies Made Me, at, uh, I don't know, at Movies Made Me pod <laughs> somewhere. I've just suddenly forgotten everything. Uh, and That's soon, yeah, you'll find it. And soon I will have uh, my core four podcast ready for you. But boy, this whole virus thing, I don't know. I don't have the bandwidth for it. And I'm Joe Myers. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at that Joe Myers. I also am the co-host of a horror show called The Podcast Macabre. You can find us at podcastmacabre.com, and there you'll find where to find our show and where to follow us on all the social media. And this has been It's On My List.